just think about, man, what does it look like to, uh, to be a godly example? And uh, on Father's Day, uh, I'm here to tell you that Josh Ballard is an incredible father to his two little kiddos. And, and he talked then about uh, maybe what I would call a spiritual father to him and, and Lee, uh, somebody who called him out and said, come on, man, I see something in you that God sees in you. And so that really is, is the crux, the idea that is floating behind this series, Carbon Copy. That as Christians, as believers, uh, we are to be poured into by other believers and that we are to be pouring into and making a carbon copy of Christ and other people. And um, I'm excited to to continue to press into that through the book of 1 Timothy today. We're going to be in chapter 2. While you find 1 Timothy 2, let me tell you about a couple things that are going on in the CCC family uh, in this coming week. Uh, So first of all, tomorrow night, uh, right here uh, at this place, 6 o'clock, uh, there's something called Ladies Connect. And there's going to be a, just a time for ladies to uh, be around tables, to, to invest in each other relationally, to do this, right? To, to make carbon copies of Christ in their lives uh, around the Word of God. So that's at 6 o'clock here tomorrow night. And then, um, guys, we are really excited for this. As we talk about being a family a church family, and as we see God birthing a, a new family over at Midland, uh, there is some exciting stuff that is going on as they, uh, as they seek the next step uh, as, as their family. And so next Sunday is Love Shelbyville Day, so we're going to come here, we're going to serve, uh, and we're excited to be able to do that in our community. 10 o'clock, we'll serve. And then uh, after that, we are going to uh, all rendezvous um, for lunch over at 1900 Midland Trail, which is across the street from the current Midland building. And uh, we're going to have uh, just a cookout, bring your, bring your lawn chairs, bring a blanket to, uh, to eat on or whatever. And then we're going to have uh, uh, just a time for you guys to see this new space that, uh, that prayerfully Midland is uh, going to be moving into this summer. And uh, we'll have a, this is for covenant members, right? For our covenant member family, we'll have to, we've got to, we've got to affirm from the budget in that so okay so that's next week we are so excited guys it's incredible um i can't tell all the stories they're actually going to be uh, with us for part of july while they get the space ready and we hope to hear some of the stories of what god is doing over there but uh, man it's incredible they've taken a place where in their community a, an old apartment building burnt to the ground and the people said we're not going to do anything with that and uh, last weekend was the first steps in seeing that become a playground and a basketball court and so God just redeeming a community and, and allowing community to be built around that they're seeing 50 some kids come play soccer it's been awesome to see all that God's doing there so that's next Sunday right love Shelbyville day and then uh, we're gonna have lunch for everybody over at the Midland the new Midland space and uh, and it'll be a good time so that's what's going on in our family Today, as we, get, as we jump into uh, the scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're kind of picking up uh, where we left off last week. So uh, we were in 1 Timothy 1, and we were talking about this idea that, that we have to know ourselves, that we have to know God, we have to be self-aware if we're going to be a leader, if we're going to be somebody who can make a carbon copy. And we, we kind of saw right at the end of the text that we also have to know what God is calling us to do. We have to know what God is calling us to do if we're going to be able to invest our life in other people. And um, today, what we're going to see as we jump into this passage that's quite honestly a little bit difficult to interpret, we're going to have to stick together in this, 
But what we're going to see is that the leaders who are able to make a carbon copy are always others focused. That they're always focused outside. They're always focused externally. And we're going to talk about what, that, uh, what, what the root of that is. So, if you found 1 Timothy 2, uh, read that with me. We're going to have it on the screen if you don't have it. But I encourage you to, to read it for yourself as we go along. I'm actually going to jump back. We don't have this on the screen, but I'm going to jump back uh, to the very end of first, uh, chapter 1 so we get all this in context, all right? So chapter 1, verse 18 says this. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by recalling them you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. And then we jump into chapter 2 here on the screen. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this, I, Paul says, was appointed a herald, an apostle, I am telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. And also the women are to, to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. Before you walk out, kidding a little bit easy easy so easy we're gonna pray we're gonna pray and then we're gonna talk about this passage today all right I'm excited Heavenly Father you are patient with us you love us you teach us I pray today God that your words in Scripture would teach us, that we would learn, that we would uh, not just learn head knowledge, but that we would learn in such a way that our lives are changed, that we would not be sucked into a vacuum of self, but that we would uh, slowly learn to take on the attitude of Christ, considering ourselves nothing, as we make disciples who love your son, Jesus Christ, and look forward to an eternity in heaven with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Anybody know who said that? Jesus. Jesus. John 15, 13. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Uh, we're going to play a little game 
to get us started after reading some of those passages. And we're going to come back into that, right? And this has a point, all right? Trust me. So uh, you need somebody close to you. If you're sitting by yourself, uh, you need a friend. So find a friend. And uh, we're going to do some would you rathers. And I want you to tell the person on your, your, whoever you're working with here, which one of these things you would rather do, all right? So here's the first one. Um, and this one's going to be an easy one for Christ community. Would you rather always be 10 minutes late or always be 20 minutes early? All right, if anybody said 20 minutes early, they're just lying. They're just lying. All right, here's the next one. Here's the next one. Would you rather, would you rather lose all your money and valuables or would you rather lose all the pictures that you have ever taken? Ladies just said pictures and men just said money, right? That's, that's how this goes. All right, all right, here we go. Here's the, here's the third one. Would you rather, this one's tough, would you rather have a horrible short-term memory or a horrible long-term memory? All right, all right, that was, that was a little difficult. We got some critical thinking going on. All right, here's the next one. This one's, this one's a little more positive. Would you rather be completely invisible for one day or be able to fly for one day? Fly. Everybody wants to fly. That sounded very clear. All right. Okay. All right, this, one's, this, one's, this one has a lot of scenarios. Would you rather go to jail for four years for something you didn't do or get away with something horrible that you did, but always live in fear of being caught. That's not, you said it's not fair. It's not fair. Neither. The answer is neither. All right. Awesome. Y'all are good sports. So as we read, as we read these first couple chapters of 1 Timothy, all right, there's, there's kind of this overarching feel that Paul is asking Timothy a would you rather. And here's the would you rather that Paul is asking Timothy. Would you rather serve people who don't really like you? Or would you rather walk away from God's calling on your life? Would you rather serve people who don't really like you, that, that are hard to be around, that are annoying, that, that you, know, you just don't really care for them, they're irritable, or would you rather walk away from God's calling on your life? See, this is, this is kind of the crux of the, the would you rather of, of making disciples, of making carbon copies. Because the reality is, is that as we get into investing in one another's lives, we're going to get on each other's nerves. And so as that's happened in Timothy's context, Paul says, listen, man, you can either give into this feeling that that it's hard to, to be with people, it's, it's messy, it's difficult, or you can walk away from the calling that God has placed on your life to make disciples, to be a pastor in Ephesus. And I think it's the same question that we should be wrestling with individually and as a church. Now Paul goes on, and, and we read the verses, right, some difficult verses about some gender roles and gender issues, and we're going to address those here in just a minute. But before we get there, let's think about our context for just a minute. If we were to ask God what the specific issues the men of CCC were struggling with, 
what would God say to us? If it was all laid out on the table and transparent and, and we thought about, man, what is it that the, the guys of CCC are good at and, and what is it that they're not good at, what would God say? See, that, that's the instruction that Paul's giving to Timothy about the guys in Ephesus. And we can ask the, the same question of ladies, right? If we were to ask, man, what are the issues that, that the women of Christ Community Church are, maybe they're good at, but there's also some things, right, that we struggle with, what would God say? See, it's important to ask those questions before we get into some of the issues because uh, Paul is speaking directly to the, the context in Ephesus. He, he's speaking to Timothy about things that, that these men and these women were, were dealing with right then and right there. And before we cast judgment on people who lived a long time ago, we must be careful to consider that our church family, our men, our women, have issues have things that we should be addressing. And then the application, the, the, the most important question is, how are those things, those things that we struggle with as men, as women, how are they turning us inward? How are they turning us towards ourselves and creating division rather than gospel-centered unity? As we get into this passage, we're going to see some specific things that are, that are sucking the people of Ephesus into what I like to call the me vacuum. Anybody ever been in the me vacuum? You don't know how it happens, but all of a sudden you look up and you realize that this situation or this person has sucked you into this like cyclone where all you can focus on is yourself and your needs and what you want the outcome of the situation to be. We're going to read about people that were just hating on the mission, right? Hymenaeus and Alexander were, were coming and they were, they were just opposing Timothy. They, they hated what he was trying to do. How many of us have faced a hater in our life, maybe even recently, right? What do you do when somebody is really opposed to you? How do you respond? How do you react? Do you get sucked into the me vacuum? We're going to read about how people begin to believe Satan's lies, right? We're going to see that, the, that as those things begin to happen, they begin to believe things that just aren't true. They aren't there. But inwardly, we feel this voice that's saying to us that this person maybe doesn't have the best of intentions or that, that they're out to get us. That happens for us too, right? We read that, that the men were having arguments. They were holding grudges against each other, right? They weren't even able to pray or to worship because they were holding on to something from who knows how long ago. How many of us still do that? We read that for their, their women... Being in the spotlight, being, being that lady that when everybody walked in, it was like, ooh, look at her, was a struggle. It had sucked them into the me vacuum. Paul was sending Timothy to Ephesus to be a pastor. But there's a whole lot more to it than that. We learn from the book of Acts that, that when Paul left Ephesus, he was leaving Ephesus as it was rioting. People were rioting, and they were rioting because of Paul's gospel message, right? So Paul had begun ministering in Ephesus. He began introducing them to this person of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus saves people from their sins and changes their lives entirely. And everybody was really excited until they realized that it completely changed the way they lived their lives. 
See, there were some of these businesses who had been making idols. They, like, they were, like their business was to make these little wooden figures. And, and these business leaders were all of a sudden really affected because instead of buying their idols and worshiping those gods, they were worshiping the one true God. And so they begin to riot, and they begin to get the people of the city behind them, and they're saying, listen, these guys didn't come to preach the gospel. They didn't come to preach the good news. They came to mess up our economy. And now all of a sudden, I can't pay the bills. Or, you know, there, there was, there was, they were at odds with each other. And Alexander, who we read about just a couple of verses ago, was, was one of the ringleaders. He was uh, just completely opposed to what Paul and Timothy were trying to do. So they leave. And then I want you to think about what the conversation between Paul and Timothy would have looked like when Paul says, hey, Timothy, remember Ephesus, that place where they were rioting and they really didn't like us? You should go back there. Do what? I mean, just imagine Timothy. Who, who me? Paul, you want me, like, you want me to go there? Do I have to? I don't want to. And Paul Man, he digs deep. He appeals to this prophetic calling in Timothy's life. Chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command, right? Uh, I, I love what Josh said about Lee asking him to be an elder. He said he didn't ask me if I wanted to be an, an elder. He said, would you be an elder, right? Like, it, he said, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Paul appeals to the calling in his life, right? What is the calling in Timothy's life? It's to be a minister of the gospel. What is the calling in your life? There may be a specific element to it, but we all know that we're called to make disciples, to make carbon copies so that the Lord Jesus would be honored. And so it's in that light that Paul's instructions in chapter 2 are designed specifically to help Timothy in his ministry to the church in Ephesus. Paul's like, listen, man, I know that you're going to remember your calling. I know that you're going to stay because that's what God wants you to do. And I know that you honor the Lord. So let's talk about some nuts and bolts on, on how you're going to do that. And, and then for us, let's talk about some nuts and bolts in this passage so that we can have a clear conscience about what we're studying and not just think that the Bible's out to get women, okay? First and foremost, he says there's a call for everyone to be praying for those in authority. Um, a sign that, that, that there was a lack of respect in the culture in Ephesus, right? People just didn't respect one another. Then there's a command for men to, to quit arguing with each other, to lay their egos to the side and to focus on worshiping together. And then he speaks to women about not undermining the authorities in their life. Now there's some difficult passages to interpret here especially in regard to gender roles, right? And I, and I don't pretend to have all the answers. There are people much smarter than I who have been talking about this for a long time. But, but the question becomes, does Scripture devalue women? The answer is clearly no. Paul dresses how the ladies dress. And again, this is contextual. We have no idea what the actual dress code issues were. But, but even today, uh, I think it's safe to say we have certain styles that we would deem inappropriate for men or for women. Uh, as an example, I've seen on the interwebs, on social media, that this uh, fashion trend of romp hymns is, so, listen, if that ever happens, right, like we're just going to deem that inappropriate. No, I'm just, we won't be legalistic about it. But, 
But, but you get the idea, right? There, there are some types of clothing that, that just wouldn't be appropriate. So he's addressing that. It's, it's not to, to try and put women in their place. But then he says, it, it, gets, tar- it gets harder, right? He says, Paul's women should learn quietly with, with full submission, not allowing a woman to have authority over a man. Now, first, it's important to recognize that he's not picking on women here because he addressed men as well, right? They, they have issues of their own. He's simply addressing the issues that the men were dealing with and the issues that the women were dealing with. And apparently, some of the women of Ephesus had authority issues. It's some really strong language here, right? Some that I'm not going to maybe even attempt to, to talk about how that applies because every situation is so different. But it ultimately affirms the consistent biblical pattern that that both genders are created equally, and yet they have uniqueness in their roles. They have uniqueness in, in what God created them to do and to be. In addition, this is really important. The word that is translated as, as, as quiet, it has a sense of, of being settled, uh, of, of being content, you might say. In other words, it's not saying, women, you shouldn't say anything. Keep your mouth shut. It's not saying that. But rather, to be content, to, to be settled, to, to not always be the squeaky wheel. And then there's a strange passage at the end that says that women are saved through childbearing. What? But we should notice that this verse comes in context of telling the story of Adam and Eve. And if you go back to Genesis, after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, one of the curses of that sin was that women would have pain in childbirth. I'm told that that's still true today. So I'm told. And so what we, what we can understand here is that Paul's words are reinforcing the idea of, the, of, of God loving us as he saves us, even through the difficulties of childbirth. Women are not saved, let's be clear, because they have a child. That is not how women are saved. They are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But these things, they were sucking the people in Ephesus into this selfish vacuum. And now Timothy's beginning to get pulled into it too, right? It's like that tornado that just gets bigger as it accumulates stuff. All of a sudden, everybody had a problem with somebody else, and that problem affected them personally. And as it affected them personally, they began to think only about uh, what they were going to do in the situation and what they were going to get out of it. And instead of, as Wes so aptly said during the welcome, handling their business between them and the Lord, they were holding on to their pride. So how can we make sure that we aren't getting sucked into the me vacuum? How do we do that? What does that look like? Before we can figure the answer out to that, figure out that answer, we have to understand some things that are true about God and his calling in our life. You see, God is calling each of us to something that doesn't serve yourself. He's calling each of us to something that doesn't serve yourself. Uh, You may have heard people say before that, that we can do a lot of things. We have a lot of abilities, a lot of talents. We can do a lot of things with our life. But there's often one thing that we must do. There's something that God has specifically designed us for. And that one thing will always be something by God's design, that is to serve others. That one thing will always help us serve others. It won't be for ourselves. We pick up in verse 5 of chapter 2. Paul writes this about 
the God that we believe in. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So we, we read here, we learn that, that we serve one God, one God in, in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But he is, he is one God, and there is one mediator, only Jesus, it says. And Jesus' death was his story. The story of Jesus' death on the cross that happened, as we read in Scripture, at just the right time in history, in just the right way. And Paul says, I was appointed, I was called to be a herald, to be a teller of that story. That, that is my calling, and, and I believe that he would say that that is all of our callings, because we're always called to something outside of ourselves, no matter the cost. I read a story this week um, about a, a soldier and in 2012, um, Sergeant Dennis Weichel became the epitome, the, the illustration of this idea that our ultimate calling will always serve others. He was in Afghanistan, and he was killed by an armored vehicle. He was killed by an armored vehicle because he put his own life in the place of a young Afghan girl who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So he ran in front of an armored vehicle to save this young girl and lost his life in the process. I read that story and it reminded me of a verse in the book of Jude. Jude, verses 22 and 23 says, Have mercy on those who waver, but save others by snatching them from the fire. By snatching them from the fire. When we think about making carbon copies, when we think about investing in other people, who is it that we're snatching? Who is it that's in our lives that's sitting in front of that armored vehicle? Danger facing them. And we have an opportunity to sacrifice ourselves for them. For a long time, the, the uh, illustration of Jesus being a bridge between God and man has, has served as an excellent illustration of our salvation. The idea is that God and his perfect holy righteousness is, is on this one cliff, and then there's this huge chasm in the middle, and we over here as broken, sinful people are separated from God by our sin. And you, you draw that out, and then you put in the middle of those two cliffs a picture of the cross. Because Jesus' death on the cross bridges the gap from, from our sins to being with God. That only tells half of the story, right? When we get sucked into the me vacuum, the only thing that we're worried about for, for just a moment is, is getting across that cavern to be with God. But the idea of Jesus being a mediator, the idea of Jesus being someone who connects people to God, it mandates that we begin to look back across that bridge and wonder, how is it that I stay close to Jesus, that I stay with him in this mediation between God and man? How is it that I go back and help to rescue others, to snatch others from the fire and help them to know what it is to walk across that bridge and join their Holy Father? 
who are you heading back over the bridge to get? And we're back to a would you rather. Would you rather rescue the people that you struggle with or walk away from God's calling on your life? That's the choice that we're making, right? You have to empty the vacuum of self, but how do we do that? Paul's instructions to Timothy may seem simple, but they're really, really important. He says, first of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. See, any ministry, any discipleship relationship, any efforts that will succeed in the spiritual kingdom will start with prayer by someone somewhere. You can't be a leader of others. You can't be someone who cares about other people if you're not praying for them. I might even go so far as to say if we're still complaining about a person, then we're not praying enough for them. He says uh, here, if we've got, I don't know if we have that on the screen or not. Let me just pull it up in my Bible. Verse 2, he says, we should be praying for kings and for all those who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dig- dignity. That so that is so important because the implication would seem to be that it's really difficult to lead a dignified and godly life if you're not focused on others by praying for them. And this has really wide application, right? Essentially, you begin to think about authority figures that you have issues with. You begin to think about the people in your life that rub you the wrong way. And you realize that active prayer is the beginning of moving in the right direction relationally. And then he says, this is good, and it pleases God. You know, when you focus on and pray for others, you are pleasing God. And that's about as close to instant gratification spiritually as you can get. Last night, um, I had the, the privilege and the honor to, uh, to preach uh, in prison. And um, they do this cool thing. Uh, after, after that, they call it fourth day. And... Uh, these men, uh, in this case they were men, they come up and they begin to share about what God is doing in their lives, what God is teaching them. And a man named Dorian, he, he came up and he says, uh, I'm real shy. And then he begins to share. And he shares that uh, he's met Jesus in prison and he's beginning to change his life, and part of changing his life was he called his wife, and he said, hey, I want you to send me uh, my wedding ring. I should have brought that with me. Just a small symbol of of the way that I want our relationship to to be better. She said, okay. So she popped the wedding ring in the mail, and while it was in the mail, somebody cut the envelope open and stole his ring. He found out about it. He said, I called my wife. He said, I was angry. So angry. He said, I asked her, how could you be so stupid to just put it in the envelope so that people could know what it is? He said, I hung up the phone on her. Guys, have we ever been angry like that? Have we ever been frustrated with our wives? I know it's Father's Day, right? But let's think about this on a day that we should be challenged. 
So Dorian, he said, I went out to the basketball court, and I was shooting baskets. And he said, this guy named Boone walked up. Boone was in the room. So he's affirming him right here in the room. He said, Boone walks up to me, and he's just shooting baskets. Take note, this is how you make a carbon copy. He said, he just joined me in what I was doing. He joined me in what I was doing. He said, man, how are you today? He said, man, I'm angry. Told him the story. Dorian says, I finished telling the story, and Boone walks over right beside me, and he grabs my hand. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? We're in prison. Two guys don't be holding hands in prison. He said, he looked at me and he said, let's pray. He said, right there on a basketball court in prison, two big old guys, too tough to hold hands, started praying. He said, by the time I was done, he said, I was crying. And all I wanted to do was call my wife and tell her I was sorry. If we want to be others-focused, if we want to, to help other people uh, walk further in their relationship with Christ, we first have to, to just be praying with them, to join them in that. We have to get over the relational stuff, the, the histories, the stories, the backgrounds, and we just have to be there together, no matter whatever the cost is for our personal pride. It's true for us at Christ Community, too. We all have stories. We all have things. We all have moments that maybe we got our feelings hurt. or Maybe there's people that aren't even at Christ Community. Maybe we're at Christ Community because we got our feelings hurt by somebody else who's not here. It's the nature of life. We have relationships that are broken. But if we're going to join Jesus in what he's called us to do, we have to begin praying for those people that have hurt us the most. Because if we're not, we're living in the vacuum of self. And we're not emptying the vacuum, vacuum of self, we're abandoning our first love. I want to finish with this. The church in Ephesus, we've heard about them in Acts, we're reading about them in Ephesians and 1 Timothy. But Jesus wrote a letter to them that we read about in, in uh, the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 says this I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you've not grown weary. He says, Look, it's a good thing. Like, you keep going, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did. At first. What is the love that we had at first here at CCC? What is it about the, the culture and DNA of Christ Community Church that we have maybe abandoned? The love that we had at first was investing the gospel in each other. Hearing stories of people being in each other's homes at all hours of the night, reading scripture together, praying with one another, not just living our lives on Facebook, but actually being together. I can remember stories. I, I sat with a guy this week. 
he, was, he said to me, you know, my, my highest moment spiritually was when I was meeting with a group of guys at 5.30 in the morning, just going through Scripture and praying with one another. That's what we loved. We loved meeting early in the morning or late at night, whatever it was, to just be accountable to each other and to just sharpen each other's faith, to just be together, no matter how silly it looked, right? No matter if we were holding hands on a basketball court in prison. But in doing that, we were sharing our stories honestly and with transparency. And then serving our community, which is what we love, happened naturally out of an overflow and not out of commitment or have to that's the love that we had at first we have to do the works that we did at first and the works were being with one another in gospel scripture-centered community here's the reality right it's hard kids are different ages different season of life different jobs but it requires emptying the me vacuum it requires, it starts with just praying for those people, actively praying for and with those people. And I haven't modeled that well. Caitlin and I, I know, have stretched ourselves too thin. We're okay. I, we're not, it's not like that. But, but know that we've stretched ourselves too thin, and, and it's forcing us to pray together through hard decisions that, that we need to make to correct that so that we can be in better gospel community with you all. And so my question today for our church family is simply this. Will you join us in the emptying of yourself? Will you join us in that? And we come back to a would you rather. Would we, as a church, rather repent and do the work to disciple one another, to make carbon copies, or would we rather walk away from God's call on this church? That's the would you rather. What would we rather do? We'd rather make the sacrifices that are needed to, to ensure that we're getting together and, and studying God's word, or would we rather walk away from God's call on our church? First of all, as Paul would say, we pray. The band's going to come, and as we pray this morning, I want to do it a little differently. I'm going to just lead us in prayer, and I want you guys to, to fill in some of the gaps in your own personal prayer in your chair. I'm going to ask you to pray for different leaders, for different people in your life, for different aspects of our church. And then as we come out of that time of prayer, we each have a, a chance, an opportunity to respond to the gospel. For many of us, responding to the gospel may mean coming forward, taking a piece of bread, and dipping it in the juice. And when we do that, we're having communion with our Heavenly Father on Father's Day. We're remembering the sacrifice that He made for us. If you've never made a decision to trust Jesus, we invite you to do that. If you just need to pray, we invite you to join us back in the prayer area. And you can pray with uh, someone there. But as we begin this response time, let's just pray together as a church family now.